the intersection of Christian thought and Christian living is God's standard of holiness. It's time to stop avoiding issues and talk about where we stack up after asking some hard questions. We are encountering Christ through conversation. This is the Amos 77 Project. Welcome to another edition of the Amos 77 Project. I'm Jimmy, your dauntless host, who will help you navigate the twists and turns of societal thinking so you can give yourself to righteous and empowered living. Have you considered the fact that there's more to your Christian existence that happens between your Sunday to Sunday visits to your local places of worship? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And it seems we've been good to do that. On a normal Sunday, riding through your town, you could see cars parked outside of a church building. But are we exhorting one another as we see the day approaching? What does it mean to exhort? What day are we talking about? The church should be a holy organism on the move for Jesus. Exhorters are motivated, born-again people who encourage others to become followers of Christ, not followers of a brand. This is accomplished by teaching the Word of God and fearlessly becoming a living example, failures and all. As far as the day we are talking about, this is the return of Jesus Christ to reclaim His church. When exactly this will happen is open to much debate. The people who lived during the time of the apostles believed Jesus was coming back and they worked tirelessly to educate as many people as they could about Jesus' return. We must do the same regardless of the timetable we think it's on. Ultimately, no man knows the day or the hour. So I know you have to be asking yourself right now, where has this guy been? Under a rock, we haven't had a normal Sunday for quite some time. What I'm saying is, despite our circumstances, we have to go out of our way to keep the gospel moving, even during a pandemic. This means we have to learn to be uncomfortable. We do not like our comfort zones challenge. Our idea of comfort and God's idea of comfort are not the same. Since the creation of the church, God has illustrated that the church is a society that flourishes well when operating outside of her comfort zone. Many times, even in the day that we live in, this means that the church is pushed underground and persecuted. We have to look at the kinds of people who made up the church. I want to tell you that they're average, everyday people who've had a deep encounter with Christ. This encounter moves past the intellect and finds root deep within the heart. Let me say right here, you have to make the exchange. I think people frequently label themselves Christians because they don't know what else to call themselves. They make an association based upon their peer group. It seems like it's the right thing to do at the time. There are people who have sat in pews on countless Sundays who have never encountered Jesus Christ. They don't talk about it, and they've been doing it for so long that they're just afraid to do anything else but just go through the motions. I can't emphasize just how bad this really is. Please, for the sake of everything that's good, if you don't know Jesus Christ or you've never asked him into your heart or if you've never had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, I think it's time that you stop this podcast and you really start to think about what a relationship with Jesus Christ really, really means. Being a Christian is not a label or an association with a group of people or an affiliation with a club. It's a personal relationship with the God of the universe. I will not use the cover of a pandemic or the coronavirus to create a sense of fear in you. It has to be something that you decide for yourself, and it has to come from the heart. You could say in my early years that I myself was a Christian atheist. My father was a pastor. I attended church every Sunday. I did what I thought he wanted me to do, and I did it not for myself, but for other people. I spent many years of my life being angry at God for the things that happened to me. I could sing all of the songs and I can quote all of the scriptures. I can go through all of the motions that made me look like the real thing, but at the end of the day, I didn't believe. I had what you call head knowledge about who Jesus was. 
but I didn't have the heart knowledge. He didn't go deep inside my spirit. He didn't go deep into my heart because I didn't want him to. I was okay at holding the God of the universe at arm's length so I could live my own life. I'm so lucky today that he had grace and he had mercy upon me and he protected me during those years where I was foolish. On October 31st, 2007, I got down on my knees in my bedroom and I asked Jesus to come into my life again for real, to stay. I told him that I had lived my life and I'd done everything with it that I could do under my own power. My prayer wasn't pretty. Actually, it was pretty choppy and it was pretty not what I was used to hearing at an altar service. When I got up off the floor, things had radically changed in my life. I suddenly felt lighter than I had ever felt in many, many years. On top of that, that evening was the best night's sleep that I had gotten probably in my entire life. I felt like the entire weight of the world had been lifted off of my shoulders and I felt free. I had never felt that way before. Which leads me to this. Even those who never met Christ face to face in the flesh know what they feel is real. Accepting Christ is a motivating, life-changing event. Motivated, born-again people who encourage others to become followers of Christ have more than just a head knowledge about who Jesus is. They have a heart knowledge. When the pressures of life come, all of those with head knowledge wilt and fade away. They've not let Christ or his words fall deep into the places of their hearts and lives. Again, friend, this exchange has to happen, and the exchange that I'm talking about is your life for his. The church is made up of people, not supermen. Average, everyday people who have troubles. Everyday people who go through things. Everyday people who live life just like you and I do. You and I make up the church. The history of the church is recorded in the Bible in the book of Acts. It tells the story of everyday people who had a deep encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. While I'm not able to cover the dawn of church history here, I can sum it up by telling you as followers of Christ, the church faced mounting pressure from the government, which is Rome, and the religious establishment, which was the Jews. The church was able to thrive for a time in one place despite the pressure. All of the pressure blew up and came to a head with the stoning of Stephen. Now, Stephen was an average man. It says in the Bible that he cleaned tables for a living, but the Bible also says that Stephen was a powerful man of God. When Stephen was martyred, the church in Jerusalem was scattered and many of its members were forced underground. All of a sudden, the followers of Christ became outliers and outlaws. Suddenly, the people with head knowledge and the people with heart knowledge were noticeably separated. Faith was tested and faith increased because it was needed to survive the persecution coming at them from all sides. Yet, the church exploded despite the fact that she was hunted. You can say she was forced out of her comfort zone in order to grow. You see, Stephen didn't die for a lie or a made-up entity. He died for what he knew was real. He died for what he felt was real. As a matter of fact, the Bible records that right before he died, it says that the heavens opened up and that he saw Jesus Christ. You see, people don't die for a fairy tale. There are people all over the world that are dying in the name of Jesus Christ. They're not dying for a lie. They're not dying for a fairy tale. They're dying for what they know is real. They've encountered Christ face to face in their hearts. Persecution is not without its benefits. Evangelism with signs and wonders became a distinctive characteristic of the church. Believers went out of their way to deliberately separate themselves from the world because they believed this would bring the kingdom of Christ closer to them. They departed the common ways of life to live uncommon lifestyles. Mounting pressures from the harsh realities they lived in forced them to hunger and thirst for the justice and righteousness only the kingdom of Jesus could bring. They would shun evil so they would be counted worthy to enter this kingdom. 
Fox's Book of the Martyrs records countless men and women who over the centuries sacrificed the world and the comforts it offered to be a citizen of this kingdom. Their unwillingness to conform to any current standard would follow them everywhere they went. Jesus is what they were known for. They were activists of love who tended to the poor by freely giving from what they had. They cared for the sick, they studied and worshipped God, and they witnessed and performed miracles, and they raised the dead. What does this look like in modern terms, and does this kind of church survive today? If you attend a house of worship and it's lackluster or monotone, is that Jesus' fault? I highly doubt it. Going to church should be a celebration. We're definitely learning that now because we're not able to join together with each other every Sunday. I believe that Christianity is an underground society. I believe it's the minority and not the majority. Christians are not meant to be mainstream. No amount of smoke, lights, or skinny jeans is going to change that. I'm not against smoke. I'm not against lights. I'm not against skinny jeans. I'm against the come as you are and leave the same mentality that has become commonplace in the worship settings that we attend today. If you're sitting in church wishing you were somewhere else, then something's wrong. The more Christianity becomes mainstream, the more its message must be watered down to fit mainstream ideas. We live in a society that doesn't like to offend anyone. However, Christianity is offensive by nature. It cannot conform to or survive most social settings. In fact, Christ said it would be the cause of division that would begin in the house where a man lived, and family members would betray each other because of it. Christianity is exclusive. This is because it's a rigid construct, meaning we are to adapt our lives to the ways of Jesus Christ, not conform the ways of Jesus Christ to our lives. At the same time, Christianity is open to all who would come, and all are accepted by Christ and his kingdom if they agree to forsake the world to embrace his kingdom. I'm more than sure by now that if you're new to this Jesus thing, I've just totally erased this pretty portrait of who Jesus is, or God being the benevolent grandfather petting a cat on his throne in heaven. Getting back to the church that Stephen attended, knowing the strength of that church under pressure got me thinking about the modern church in America. Will the modern American church survive a crisis that forces her to become an underground church? Do I believe the American church is being persecuted? I don't want to take this persecution word lightly. To be persecuted means to face a huge amount of hostility. In no way, shape, or form am I going to compare the American church to the church in other places. Before I even entertain this line of thinking, I want to say first that the American church is undergoing some changes right now. It's clear to me that the American body of Christ is experiencing some pushback on the freedoms she has enjoyed in the past. I don't think a lot of the people who occupy pews on our Sunday morning services are ready for the kind of pushback that we are seeing. I want to point out that the people who govern this nation are using the crisis we are in to restructure what our pictures of liberty looks like. I believe history clearly reflects that any time the government takes control of something, it's very slow in giving back that control, if it releases control at all. I think there are isolated incidents of persecution that are happening right now because of the overreach of some figures of authority and how they interpret what they believe is important. The defending of our freedoms is essential right now, and one of the first lines of defense is to be aware of what is happening to people all around the American church. We also need to know what the Word of God says. Christians are warned to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves, and we're always to be prayerful. But harmless does not mean helpless. If American Christianity is being forced underground, it's because our people have been negligent to speak up about evil. Christianity is powerful in other regions of the world because the people there know evil is real. They live under oppressive governments, and they've been a witness to their cruelties. Other regions of the world worship demonic entities, and people have been exposed to their demonic power. 
American Christians play with or excuse a lot of evil. Hollywood and television glorify evil and make evil mainstream. Think about all of the movies that have been released in the past few years that have glorified demonic possession or demonic oppression. Possessed houses, demonic nuns, possessed children and toys and film are prized for their entertainment value. People in the United States have been desensitized to evil. Every time we turn on a television, we welcome evil into our homes without even thinking about it. It's nothing now for a regular TV program to celebrate deception, murder, and sex as commonplace things. Pornographic images have been introduced into commercials for the products we use in daily life, and they have absolutely nothing to do with sex. We have even left TV behind and have access to all of this content right at our fingertips with cell phones that we carry. This kind of assault on purity has taken its toll on our society and has created twisted thinking and an altered sense of reality. We're at the place now where we've become upside down in our morality. The more the church tries to be what society calls normal, the more the devil overtakes our houses of worship. It's hard to defend against something you freely invite into your home. Another killer in our churches is the root of bitterness. When people in a church don't get along, they go down the street and they create their own. Or they join another house of worship and bash the one they just came from. We're so busy arguing with each other, we don't notice that American Christians are being openly challenged for standing by the convictions of their faith. We've all heard about the Christian bakers who've been closed or been sued because they refuse to violate their personal convictions, which, by the way, is supposed to be a protected right in this country. One of them went all the way to the Supreme Court to win his case. He is now facing a similar lawsuit, and the legal system refuses to set a precedent based upon his first victory. He must start all over again. The arguments are one-sided and heavy-handed. We're not hearing about these things because we're worried about songbooks, or we're worried about something somebody said, or somebody didn't shake our hand, or we don't like the way the carpet looks, or we don't like the way the curtains look, we don't like the way the pastor looks, we don't like what the pastor wore. And I know you're sitting there like, okay, okay, Jimmy, you're being really, really petty. These are petty things, but these are things that people focus on. And they're forgetting the fact that their liberties are being eroded as they sit there and they worry about things that don't matter. And I'm not talking about things that happened a long time ago. On March 27th of this year, a writer at the Washington Post attacked Christians with an article entitled, The Road to Coronavirus Hell Has Been Paved by Evangelicals. The title was later changed to, The Religious Rights Hostility to Science is Crippling Our Coronavirus Response. This article states that Christians are science deniers who've infiltrated the highest levels of government. Because the President of the United States panders to a Christian base, the writer believes Christians have encouraged the President to put faith before science. The writer believes that this has slowed the response of the government to properly deal with the coronavirus. She also believes Christians do not take the coronavirus as a serious matter. Around the same time, a Fox News pundit attacked Vice President Mike Pence when he was assigned as head of the Coronavirus Task Force. She called him a science denier for putting prayer before science. She referred to a prey-on-it plan he enacted as governor of Indiana when assembling a task force to deal with HIV. She said that prayer as a policy is outdated and has no place in a modern society. We can clearly see how the United States has stepped away from God. Then there were these churches that defied orders to cease gathering as an act of civil disobedience, which fueled the fires of this debate. Mardi Gras 2020 happened. The Los Angeles Marathon 2020 still happened. The subways in New York remained open for weeks. Stores and schools and other public places remained open. But the spread of the virus was laid at the feet of the church as the fault of the evangelical community. Instead of coming together to pray, pastors of large churches arrogantly broadcasted their services, defiantly mocking the seriousness of the virus while the media stokes panic and fear. Let's talk about something else that's really interesting. 
The media doesn't currently know whether or not the virus is as bad as they say it is, or if this is just an overreaction to the facts. The death toll in the U.S. at the time of my podcast is over 45,000 people, and we don't even know for sure if those numbers are even correct. Even still, abortions are still happening. Cancer deaths are still happening. People are still dying from heart-related issues, and each of these have a higher death toll than the coronavirus. As we wait to see what is going on when they reopen the country, our government is slowly chipping away at our religious liberties. Like it or not, America is undergoing restructuring that is not favorable to churches. Restrictions are being put into place that are slowly eroding protections our founders created. Guns and freedom of speech might not be a big deal to you right now, but it's only a matter of time before they move on to things that are important to you. What are you going to do when they come for your Bibles or your church buildings? If they tell you that preaching against sin is against the law, then the book that you use to support it will eventually be deemed a work of fiction, or even worse, banned outright because of its content. It wasn't so long ago that the government has already attacked churches and 501c3 organizations under another administration. Could what we see now be a threat to the way that we worship? Is the American church strong enough to withstand this persecution? Listen, the last thing that I want to do is to promote fear, but conversation. I want us to start talking. Remember, I told you that there are things that are missing from conversation. As a holy organism, we must be prepared to adapt to our environment. Like the early church, we have to learn how to be flexible. That's all I'm asking here. I'm asking you, the listener, to be flexible Christian. Being flexible meaning your approach of spreading the gospel, but steadfast in your faith. Will the American church wake up? Only time will tell. The American church may be in jeopardy, but the body of Christ is not. Jesus said himself, on our knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he was going to build his church, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, the weapons we use in our fight are not made by humans. Rather, they are powerful weapons from God. With them, we destroy people's defenses, that is, their arguments and all their intellectual arrogance that opposes the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive so that it is obedient to Christ. There is a desperate cry for us to bring back holiness and to stop trying to be friends with the world. In my last podcast, I talked about how Christians can put holiness into practice. It's time for us to prayerfully examine the moment we're living in. We must refuse to draw back because of fear. We need to become vigilant defenders of truth. If you call yourself a Christian, be ready to confidently and boldly serve Jesus no matter what and teach others how to do the same. How do we do that? We just start talking to each other. The book of Acts says that people went from house to house talking about Jesus and sharing what they had in common. Find a place at a table to talk about Christ or make one. Carve out time to pray and make time to read your Bible. Sit down with a notepad or a notebook and write out your thoughts and questions. Pray over it. There is a spiritual revolution coming to America. Pray to Jesus about how you can be a part of it. Be holy. Get ready. Awakening is coming. Thanks for listening to the Amos 77 Project. We pray that you were informed and empowered by what was said. Please like and share. Leave a comment or contact us at amos77.project at gmail.com.